This is Robinson, you're trying to seduce me. Here's Johnny. Oh, wait, what do you want? You can Hey, motherfucker. You never go ask them out. Now what is so damn funny? And here we go. We will not go quietly into the night. We will not vanish without a fight. Force will be with you. Always. But the truth! You can't handle the truth! Showtime, everybody! Showtime! Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the For Real Movie Club. I am your host, Chris the Dace Van Dace, and joining me this week on the For Real Movie Club, Mr. Sam Lassio. How you doing, everybody? Mr. Christopher Chang. Hello. And I saved this name for last because I'll probably butcher it. <laughs> Carolyn Oliveira. Hi. <laughs> I butchered it, didn't I? Uh, well, the first name, it's Caroline, but that's okay. I mean, you did Oliveira really well. I fucked up the easy one. Jesus. <laughs> Her name's Elizabeth Smith. <laughs> Elizabeth <laughs> Smith. <laughs> and hiding in the balconies, making fun of everybody, Tony Mango. Hello. Balconies are pretty high up. <laughs> in the first video, we're going to talk about Candyman, which is a 1992 American horror film written and directed by Bernard Rose based on the short story The Forbidden by Clive Barker. Though the film scenario is switched from England to the Cabrini-Green public housing development on Chicago's near north side. So, bam. First initial thoughts. We'll start with you, Sam. Uh, I thought it was a little weird that a graduate student is going for, like, it's like, all right, I'm going to do research. I'm going to research urban legends. I feel like just right away that's like, what? Why? Like, I feel like that. Why Why does she need to be a graduate student? She could have just been like, I'm curious about urban legends. I'm going to go look into this. Didn't feel necessary to me. Uh, I thought it was very interesting. Uh, the whole, like, castrating motherfuckers. That was an interesting uh, little tidbit. Um, yeah, it was okay. I've seen better slasher movies. I've seen better horror movies. But it wasn't a bad movie. I, I liked it. It was all right. Chris, what were your first thoughts on the uh, movie Candyman? Uh, I just thought this this housing development needs to burn down and like yes. start anew. <laughs> like it's just awful this community where like there's a known killer who just castrated a child and mm -hmm. no one gives a shit. Like this community is just like yeah that just happened. Anyway, yeah. hey, hey hey white woman like they harassed her like a lot during this movie <laughs> and it's like i get there's supposed to be like a lot of like messages about like hey slavery was bad and like this is like an urban myth of the like the inner city but it still is not a good thing like there's there's imitator candy men that was a weird thing like there's a, a cult of them yeah and that was the the part when i was like laughing because it's like this isn't a real thing like this was definitely like clive barker's idea of like what uh black horror is it's just like yeah this this candy man is like they're they're freddy cougar so it, it, i liked it because it's like something that uh like is a different type of monster and it's unique it's like i've become the monster ah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that sounds caroline. horrifying ah. <laughs> <laughs> caroline what was your first thoughts of the movie well i absolutely love this movie um there's just like so many things i love about it and the first thing i want to say is that caprini green 
was actually a real place in Chicago. Um, and the fact that the movie was shot there, and actually the scene that um, Helen and her friend get to Capini Green and we see like those gang members, those are actually gang members that the crew decided to ask to participate in the movie because they were really scared that something bad was going to happen to them there. Um, and that's kind of how they got, they were able to shoot there because they invited the gangs themselves to participate. And the story itself, it's based, yes, on um, Clive Barker's uh, story. But the whole thing, Caprini Green, um, that, it sec- that it actually happened was that it was a very violent place. And it was ran by gangs and drug lords. Um, it was located in the area of Chicago where the police really, I don't want to say didn't care, but they didn't really do anything. And when, every now and then they would go and do like a sweep. Um, and the way that the gang members would hide from them was that they created tunnels inside the building itself. And some of the tunnels you would only access through someone else's like medicine cabinet. It would be like a, a hole there and they would hide in those tunnels and sometimes go into other people's apartments and if they screamed or tried to fight, they would kill them. Uh, and that's like how like Candyman came about. Um, and then after the movie was released, Caprini Green was actually destroyed because everybody got really upset on how bad things were there. But anyways, I love the movie. Uh, I love Tony Todd so much and his beautiful voice. Uh, I think it's hilarious that Helen was a graduate student, especially that she's married to a professor. Like, no professor would marry a graduate student <laughs> nowadays. Um, I'm going to be a graduate student next month, so, like, does this mean I get planning to marry? Are you planning to marry your teacher? A teacher? <laughs> hey, man, I'll do whatever for an A. <laughs> <laughs> well, good luck with that. Um, I just really like it. I think that, I mean, I love urban horror movies. Um... I actually cried the first time I watched, not because I was scared, but just because I felt so bad for Candyman. I was like, oh, he's such a tragic monster. He's just, like, so misunderstood. (laughs) What do you think of Um, suburban horror movies, though? Those freak me out more than (laughs) urban ones. Like, a fan of Leprechaun in the Hood? (laughs) (laughs) There's rural ones, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Um... But yeah, I, I really, really love this movie, and I mean, I could go on and on about it, but I'm going to shut up now. I'm sorry. <laughs> if this is your chance to talk. I don't know what's going on. Oh, so I, I... What? <laughs> You're so self-defeating, like, I was talking when it was my turn. I'm sorry. Well, but... <laughs> I, just, I don't want to be blabbing away, and, and people are like, oh my god, somebody killed that bitch, you know? <laughs> <laughs> is that a quote from Candyman? Probably. <laughs> that's actually one of the I'm nicer Candyman comments. Bitch. Like, that's that's one of those nicer comments that I get on my podcast. So somebody kill that fucker. So <laughs> the cast consisted of Virginia Madsen playing Helen Lyle, Tony Todd as Candyman, Xander Berkeley as Trevor Lyle. See, this is my favorite part because I try to go down a list of names, and when I can't pronounce them anymore, I just stop. Uh, <laughs> right, no. <laughs> Vanessa Williams as Anne Marie McCoy, and this is where I stop. We're going to start with you, Chris. What were your thoughts on the casting for the movie Candyman? Uh, like, the cast is good. It's just, like, their titles don't make any sense. Because, like, Anne-Marie being a grad student, like, she's the oldest grad student I've ever seen. Because she's basically, like, 30. 
and like is living with her husband, Professor Xander Berkeley. Oh, Xander that's Berkeley. Helen. That's Helen. Right. Yeah. And then like, um, yeah, you're right. You're right. Sorry. And then like Xander Berkeley, like he's just that guy of the '90s where yeah, he's in it, but he like disappears in the movie sometimes. Uh, Vanessa Williams, like when you are introduced to Anne Marie. She's kind of like this tragic single parent who's like, yeah, I live in the ghetto and like had this baby and. No, like, wait, she... what? Oh, I'm, oh, never mind. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. Right. Uh, uh, <laughs> just saying like, just like me and the characters and how they're kind of like portrayed. And yeah, 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 yeah. No, sorry. Yeah. I, I misheard you. Sorry. That's fine. Um, but like the characters are fine. Like totally like in the, they all look appropriate for the time and setting. But it's just kind of hilarious because it's like, oh, wait, so there's supposed to be, like, a student, a professor, a single, like, a mother raising a, her baby in the ghetto. And then, t- again, th- the movie's all about Tony Todd, but, you ba- like, he's not in it a lot. Like, he's, he mostly pops up or, like, he's a painting half the time. So mm-hmm. it's, it's not like he's, he's walking around and has a lot of dialogue. Caroline, what were your thoughts on the casting? Um... I like it. I mean, I love Tony Todd. I think that, yes, he doesn't speak much, but I love that his voice is so powerful that whenever he does, it feels like he is someone that is not, like, he's no longer in this world. You know what I mean? Like, he's a supernatural entity. Um, I mean, I'm fine with Helen. I mean, she has, like, a boob scene, so that's okay. She looks good in it. That was the best Um, part of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure you guys will appreciate that. That was the um, candy. Bowing out again. Yeah, I mean, I have no complaints about it. But I'm biased, so. Sam, what were your thoughts on the casting? Eh, whatever. It was a 90s movie, and you could tell it was a 90s movie. The acting wasn't terrible, but it wasn't, like, stellar. The only thing about the cast that I noticed is that I spotted Ted Raimi in it. Oh, yeah. He's Billy. He's just kind of there. Yeah. I was just like, ah. Yeah, I like him. He was good in Spider-Man. As an interesting note, uh, that at least the Wikipedia tells me, uh, Eddie Murphy <laughs> was the original choice for the Candyman role, but the <laughs> filmmakers couldn't afford him. Would that have made a difference if Eddie Murphy played the Tony Todd character? Thank God he wasn't him. I don't, I don't like this movie that much. Probably would have been funnier. Yeah. But like Candyman is not supposed to be like this punny kind of villain. Like he, he like Tony Todd was perfect for this. So yeah. it's yeah. really hard to imagine like this laughing like Eddie Murphy guy showing up and like stabbing people. Yeah, with a name like Candyman, though, you could have redone the script of this movie with Eddie Murphy, and you could have turned it more into an Evil Dead. Oh yeah, yeah, that I could see. That and then yes, this kind of makes sense though. Maybe that outfit that he used to wear, that like uh, pleathery, multicolor, uh, not <laughs> multicolor, but that outfit. Maybe that's made out of fruit roll up. <laughs> I think you're just really craving some candy, Tony. I totally would. Eat a fruit roll up. That's right. <laughs> would you castrate children for a fruit roll? Uh, it's not a Klondike bar, but <laughs> <laughs> what I was thinking. What would you do for a Klondike bar? You know, cut off children's penises. 
Anywho, some facts about the movie. <laughs> it was directed by Bernard Rose, uh, produced by Clive Barker and Steve Gollin. Um, it was based on, again, The Forbidden by Clive Bar- uh, Barker. We talked about the cast. The music was by Philip Glass. Yes. Uh, don't you want to talk about that? Uh, yeah. Um, okay. I just have, like, a, a fun little trivia. Um, Philip Glass was really against uh, making, like, putting his music in any horror movie. Um but the director was like, oh, my God, I would die if Philip Glass could do the music. And one of the producers knew him. He's like, oh, let me ask him. And the producer said, well, we have this movie. Uh, but he, he told the story of the movie as if it was like a drama. Um, and then only once Philip Glass said, yes, I'll do it, and he started working on it, the producer was like, yeah, actually, it's a horror movie. So for a while, Philip Glass was kind of annoyed that his, song, his music was going to be in this movie. But then... He agreed with it, and uh, it's like one of my favorite parts of the movie. I just love that music so much. It's just so beautiful. So they lied to him in order to get the music in the movie? Kinda, yeah. It's like it's a porno called Candyman. Yeah, Yeah, it's very dramatic. It's about how slavery is still impacting society this day. Uh, It's actually about a guy who lives in the mirror and kills people. And cuts off children's penises. Yeah. <laughs> and I feel like Bloody Mary would be better. Like, at least she only had to say her name three times. Yeah, this is exhausting. Yeah, it's like by the fourth time, I'm like, ah, oh, fuck it, I'm done. Tongue gets tied, you say the wrong name, and they gotta start all over again. Pain in the yeah. <laughs> uh, The cinematography was done by Anthony B. Richmond, edited by Dan Ray, and distributed by TriStar Pictures. And the release date was September 11th, 1992, uh, at the Toronto Film Festival. Uh, playing as part of its Midnight Madness lineup. It was officially released on October 16th, 92, in the U.S., where it made $25.7 million on what is assumed to be an $8 million budget. The runtime is 99 minutes. Now we're going to roll into, and we'll start with you, Caroline. Final thoughts and favorite moment, like high point, low point, and a ranking 1 to 10. Okay, well... Like I said, I'm really biased, and I really love this movie for so many reasons, so I'm going to give it a 10. Um, I think that my favorite scene in the movie... Well, one, I love when she finally kills her ex-husband, because I hate that piece of shit so much. Um, I just love the fire scene as well. It's so pretty. And when Candyman kills the psychiatrist, because I also... like fuck psychiatrist like i just wanted him dead um hmm low points uh, i don't know <laughs> uh maybe we could use a little bit of more tony todd in it but even though like i feel like that would, would possibly make Candyman less mysterious i don't know i just really love this movie you guys sorry i'm fangirling over it totally okay uh so it's better than like just basing the movie off of a haircut if you listen to last month's <laughs> <horror movie. laughs> yeah to be fair though tom cruise oh, <laughs> mission impossible 2 oh my god yeah <laughs> uh sam what were your final thoughts high point low point and ranking one to ten Final thoughts. I mean, it was it was serviceable. I didn't dislike it. I, I won't like praise the movie, but if anyone's like, oh, I've seen like all the latest horror movies, I've seen all the classic horror movies. Name me a movie that I should watch tonight just to shovel popcorn in my mouth. Yeah, Candyman. Why not? Um, decent horror for a horror movie. 
scares are okay. Uh, low point in the movie's gotta be that fucking, like, when she goes into the bathroom and, like, the dude jumps out and tries to kill her. It's like, you're trying to, like, earn a reputation by pretending to be Candyman? Like, how would I want to, like, get a reputation in Camden and, like, up my street cred by saying I'm the Jersey Devil? Like, that kind of <laughs> ups the Jersey Devil's street cred, not mine. Like, nobody knows, like, it was the dude who did it kind of a thing. Sa- you know Sam, I mean? if this community knew better, it wouldn't have this problem in the first place. <laughs> True. Uh, the high point for me, though, I, like Caroline said, I did like the end where she uh, killed Trevor. And it was basically like, all right, Stacy, fuck you. Like, now you just go. <laughs> and then, like, she's, like, in the painting now. And it's like, oh, I'm, I'm Candy Woman. Oh. Like, I, I, like, all right, that was my probably favorite part. Just because it fucked him up. And, you're ranking and then, one to uh, uh, ranking one to ten, I'll, I'll just give it a solid five. I like it. A solid five. That's an average. <laughs> like, meh. Yeah. That's hurtful. Chris, uh, <laughs> what was your final thoughts, high point, low point, and ranking one to ten? I like Candyman just for like the like it adds like a new kind of, it, at the time it added you had a monster to like you know the the lore of a monster that kind of show up if you say things in the mirror. There's not many a lot of them. It's like Bloody Mary and that's it. So the fact that you know Candyman can join that lore, like it didn't come from a swamp, it didn't come from uh, alien. It was just like oh we they did some really fucked up shit to this black guy back like 300 years ago. Maybe 200 years ago, something like that. Anyway, like, it's yeah. just really messed up how, like, his origin is that. And then it's like, oh, okay, instead of being vengeful towards, like, a certain type of people, Candyman would just show up if you call his name out five times. And, um, like, the, I, as for me, like, when you first meet Candyman, like, in person, and he kind of, like, yells at Helena, it, it, uh, uh, Helen, in the, um, the parking lot, because he just kind of shows up and wearing his jacket from a distance. Like, and he kind of says, it, like, hey, what's up? See you later. It's always you. That was kind of like, oh, that's kind of creepy. Yeah, like, because like if you're a woman, the one thing that you always get, I mean, at least I got from my parents was if you ha- if you park your car in a garage, make sure you're not going to get your car by yourself. Like have somebody with you. So like yeah. that to me was like freaky. Can you imagine like going to get your car and all of a sudden there's like this big dude calling your name. He's like, no, let me go away. Yeah, like it's 92. Like it's still pretty dangerous. And then it's still, like, the rough area. But it's, yeah, like, it's just, like, she's so vulnerable. But it's, like, all he does is kind of show up and just, like, yells at her and leaves. And he he even showed up through, like, a mirror or anything. like, hypnotize or something, and then she... Yeah, she gets, like, weird headaches and visions. But, I mean, again, that's creepy because it's it's going to foreshadow it. It's Mm -hmm. trying to establish the Candyman character. But, I don't know, the rules kind of break itself by the end of the movie and then the sequels. But... Uh, the low point for me was when she just wakes up in Anne Marie's house and it's like covered in blood, and like instead of like helping her, everyone's just angry at her. Yeah. You know, just like oh, oh, this black oh, baby's missing. That's yeah, a good point. oh, you, you, you did it, and just like what? Like, why don't you test this blood for evidence? Like, I, the forensic evidence wasn't a thing apparently in '92. Yeah. They're <laughs> just like, you did it. You go to jail now. Like, so that was kind of a low point because up until this point it's been pretty serious and then it gets comical like horror yeah. where she just wakes yeah. up covered in blood inside this apartment this hurt like this this friend that she made is now like betrayed her and like oh where's my baby i don't know You're that much. was kind of low for me yeah okay so now i do have a low point it's when we see the decapitated dog i can't still see that 
shot. Ah, the Rottweiler. Yeah, I have to close my eyes. I get so upset over that shot. Ah, oh, you pussy. I am. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was harsh. <laughs> uh, Chris, what was your rating, 1 to 10? Uh, it's like 7. It's definitely for me, like, it's... I, I grew up with this, so it's just a memory for me, so I'm a little biased towards that. And, again, like, I just like that it's a different kind of monster. It's it's not like, yeah, he's a stalker kind of horror figure, but, like, he's charming. You know, like, he shows up and he's like, hey, I've got vengeance. And he's, you know, like, he's angry for a reason. Like, he's a tragic thing, but then he gets, like, out of control. So, I don't know. Like, it, it's definitely not like a... It's, it's going to be hard to argue, like, if he's a classic horror figure now. You know, he's, like, the, a modern horror figure. I don't know, but... Again, it's a, it's a, like Sam said, it's a great popcorn horror movie. You don't need to follow it all the way. It's simple to understand. Yeah. Well, there you have it, folks. There's our first movie in the books, Candyman. Now we're going to stroll up memory lane once again for a childhood hit, and we're going to slam and welcome to the jam as we do Space Jam <laughs> in the next video. So click the link, do whatever you have to do on YouTube. I don't know. Maybe it'll just start playing. I don't care. Stick around. Space Jam is next. Welcome back to the second part of the For Real Movie Club for the month of August, which is a grab bag of all the staff picks, and we're going to be doing Space Jam next. And everybody's time to get up, and it's time to slam now with the greatest soundtrack on the planet. Uh, Space Jam is a 1996 American comedy film starring basketball legend Michael Jordan and featuring the Looney Tune cartoon characters. The film was produced by Ivan Reitman and directed by Joe and with Tony, oh, fuck names. I'm done with names. <laughs> it was released theatrically by the Warner Brothers under the Family Entertainment label on November fifteenth, nineteen ninety six, and it's again stars the Looney Tunes. They gotta face the monsters in order to save their uh, cartoon asses. Chris Chang, we'll start with you. What were your thoughts on Space Jam? Oh my god, the Space Jam is the culmination of like the mid '90s, where hot Michael Jordan is the hottest superstar for two sports for oh at least a sport and a half because he, <laughs> he just he retired from baseball to do uh, I mean basketball to do baseball, and I guess this is his comeback. It was his comeback like move, and right after that year he uh, did Space Jam, so it was like this exciting like roller coaster of watching him rise and fall and rise again. And, um, you know, Looney Tunes, I guess, like, hadn't had, like, it didn't have a, a big following. So during that year, it decided to have, like, this increase. And it's like, what better to reboot a whole franchise by introducing, like, Michael Jordan with, like, Looney Tune characters? It, again, on paper, it sounds insane, but it worked in 96 because, like, people thought, like, yeah, people love Michael Jordan. People like basketball and people kind of like, Looney Tunes on like graffiti art. Let's like mix that all together. Sam, what were your initial thoughts on Space Jam? Um, this was the first time in my childhood that I was legitimately attracted to a cartoon character in Lola Bunny. <laughs> Breakthrough! I was so <laughs> expecting you to say Elmer Fudd. <laughs> uh, um, it was great to this is the movie that introduced lola bunny she's been in other looney tunes things since then um yeah i mean i wasn't i've never been big into sports but i mean even i know who the fuck michael jordan is so like seeing this movie like 
increased his popularity if it wasn't popular enough already. Uh, got him into a whole new generation of people like myself who didn't watch sports to actually appreciate what he did. Um, I don't know, man. Like, I sometimes I can't even tell. Like, even rewatching it, I can't tell if I love this movie because it's a good movie, or if it's because as a child I love this movie and it has like the nostalgia effect. I really can't tell because some of the jokes are so bad. But I still, even now, will laugh at them. Like, I mean, like how the how they got like the monster name wasn't it? Um, Sylvester who named them. Yeah. He, like one one's like, oh, they're monsters. It's like, oh, they're stars, and it's like they're monsters, and it's like, <laughs> oh god, like you had to do that. And then like I I don't even remember what the fucking guy's name is because I only ever know him as Newman. But like, <laughs> oh Wayne Knight. Yeah. Um, he's just, oh god, like his jokes are bad too, and I still laugh at them. And like when the basketball players, yeah, when the basketball players like lose their powers and they're like, somehow you can just take away talent, like that's just a thing, and they like all start like freaking out. Uh, yeah, yeah, they had the identity crisis. Yeah, but but I love my mama. <laughs> Caroline, what were your initial thoughts on Space Jam? Um, I mean, I, I, I agree with Sam that I don't know. I mean, I, I think like it's still a good movie, still holds up. I feel like if I ever have children, I'm definitely going to make them watch it. Um, I remember <laughs> watching it in the theater. I, th- I thought it was great. Like I had little, like the little toys for Lola and Taz because Taz is like my homeboy. <laughs> um, it's a fun movie. Like it's, I feel like, and also like I'm still... I'm always going to be impressed with movies like Space Jam and um, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where they're able to do the animation and uh, have live action. And I'm sure the people that do animation are like, oh my god, there's so many mistakes. But I like it a lot, and I feel like it's still a really good movie. And it's just fun when you grow up and you see these characters in very old cartoons, and all of a sudden they're like super fresh, they're playing basketball, and... Michael Jordan's there. It's it's good, and Bill Murray is in it, so that's also a plus. Speaking of casting, uh, it stars Michael Jordan in the lead role as himself, uh, who starts off playing basketball or baseball, and then ends up playing basketball again for the Looney Tunes. Wayne Knight, known as Newman, uh, <laughs> to most, but also that asshole from Jurassic Park that started <laughs> terror. Yeah. Uh, uh, uh. You didn't say the magic word. Uh, <laughs> Bill Murray, and then a list of legendary basketball players such as Larry Bird, Charles Barkley, Patrick Ewing, Larry Johnson, Muggsy Boogs, and Sean Bradley. I should know that one since he was a 76er, but eh, fuck it. The voice cast also had legend Billy West as Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudd, Danny DeVito as Mr. Swackhammer, the evil boss that's trying to acquire these Looney Tunes, amongst other people who do a lot of Looney Tunes voice. When it comes to casting, it's a little hard to talk about because uh, really two people are not playing themselves, Wayne Knight and Bill Murray. Well, no, Bill Murray was still playing Bill Murray. So Wayne Knight was really the only actor in this. Um, so what I want to talk about in this epi- uh, segment of uh, Four Real Movie Club is the music because the music is awesome. It's just the soundtrack's <laughs> great. Uh, the soundtrack sold enough albums to be certified as six times platinum. Wow. It also Jesus. served... 
as a high point for the musical artist R. Kelly, whose song I Believe I Can Fly not only was a hit, but earned him two Grammy Awards. Other tracks included Steve Miller Band Fly Like an Eagle uh, by Seal and Hit Em High, the Monsters Alth- uh, uh, Monstars Anthem, which was Buster Rhymes, Coolio, LL Cool J, Method Man, and some dude named Be Real. So, you know, <laughs> one out of five made it. Basketball Jones. Basketball uh, Jones. Which is a great song. Was by Chris Rock and Barry White. Hell it's a fucking racist song, duo. but still. <laughs> and For You, I Will by Monica. Sam, we'll start with you. How many copies of this album did you buy? Uh, zero, because I was like six when this movie Moving came. on. Chris. <laughs> yeah, I, I bought one. I, I have one copy. And a basketball. It's basically a logo on it. Uh, and Caroline, how many copies did you buy? I actually had two. <laughs> one that stayed in my dad's car all the time, and one that I had at home. For a second, I thought you said one that stayed in my dead car. Oh, that too. You know. Okay. So three. <laughs> uh, Sam, back to you. What did you think of the soundtrack as a whole? Oh, my God. Like, some of these songs are just completely classic to me. I, I still contend, even though I love Basketball Jones, it's such a goddamn racist song. <laughs> <laughs> like, only because I remember the song from Cheech and Chong. But, um, oh, man, like, I Believe I Can Fly was like, I think we graduated to that song when I was in sixth grade. Like, I think, like, they had the sixth grade class, like, sing that song. I'm so glad that you would have graduated to that instead of basketball Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of wish I had graduated to basketball Jones. But yeah, like, other songs like Space Jam by Quad City DJs. Uh, Come on a slam and welcome, welcome to, to the, the jam. jam. Bugs Bunny rapping uh, to the song Buggin. <laughs> Phenomenal. Uh, that's the way I like it. All these things. Oh, this such a good soundtrack. Oh, yeah. I think, it's, I think it's right up there with like favorite soundtracks from like Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Like, just as collections of songs that you just love to listen to. Chris, what was your overall impression of the soundtrack? Uh, you know, it, it definitely played to, like, uh, like youngster, like, hip-hop and rap. Because it tried to be like that for the Monstars, the Hit em High song. Because <laughs> yeah, that, like, I never knew, like, Buster Rhymes, Ella Cool J, Met The Man, and whoever Be Real was, like... You know they're not kid friendly, but for one for one glorious song, they all came together to sing about like fake Looney Tunes. <laughs> He's like the easy E of that like list. Like everyone knows Dr. Dre and they know uh, Ice Cube, but then Easy E like who? Oh yeah, they're like oh who's that other guy in like Straight Outta Compton? <laughs> you gotta watch the director's cut to get where Method Man and all them go crazy with that song. Yeah, I, I bet there's like a B side of this song that's full of curse words, and <laughs> I, I, I'm on a hunt for that. And I, I and and words. <laughs> <laughs> Caroline, what was your initial thought of the entire album? <laughs> um, I love it. I mean, I I was watch, rewatching this movie um, while I was working out, and that got me so pumped. It was so good, and. I mean, I hate R. Kelly, but that song, I believe I can fly. Oh my god! Like I remember crying over that song. He's like, yes, me too. Let me fly. It's a, it's such a great album. I wouldn't go that far. Okay, you wouldn't, but that's my opinion. So, shh. yeah, you stay over there with your n words. <laughs> In my basketball, Jones. In your basketball, Jones. 
Uh, some facts about Space Jam. Uh, it was produced by Ivan, last name can't really say, but Reitman. Joe, oh, oh. Hi, Joe Medjuk. What? Get over. Joe Smith. Daniel Goldblu- <laughs> uh, Goldberg. Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, I know, right? Um, the music was by James Newton Howard. Who cares about that when you get a soundtrack? It was amazing. Uh, cinematography was by Michael Chapman, edited by Sheldon Kahn, and released November 15th, 1996, with a runtime of 87 minutes. The budget was $80 million, and it box officed $230.4 million. Uh, Caroline, we'll start with you. What is your final thoughts, high point, low point, and ranking 1 to 10? Um, okay. Um, high point, I just love the monsters, especially when they're not talented they're so cute um it's a great story like it's yes it's not perfect yes and it's super cheesy sometimes but only like like growing up i always loved horror movies so only a few non-horror movies really stayed with me and that was like definitely one that i watched and rewatched and had the vhs of um my lowest point i think michael jordan's acting (laughs) i mean it's it's interesting he's very um he's a really great basketball player um music amazing font movie and oh the police is outside sorry guys um they're trying to arrest you for saying that he's a bad actor that you didn't believe that he was a basketball player yeah just sing basketball jones to them (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and i think i'll I'll give it an a just because I mean, it's such a big part of my childhood. Chris, what were your final thoughts? High point, low point, and ranking 1 to 10? Uh, I think, like, Space Jam, again, is a, is a movie that on paper sounded insane. It was such a big gamble that it would work because it, it appealed to so many, like, different people, like sports fans, families, kids, and now, like, nostalgia for us. Yeah. Um, so, like, it, it, it hit all the marks well. Um, it definitely, like, brought life back into Looney Tunes, but then, like, I remember I thought it would be, like, uh, like this hard, aggressive reboot, but then it didn't. Like, I thought there would be more, like, hey, we'll, we'll do, like, other kind of, like, we're bringing Looney Tunes back into, like, movie theaters again. It's like, nope. Oh, they stopped. Um, and then they did that other shitty live-action one. That no one talks about. Like, just... Wait, which that, one? I didn't know. Back in action. The one with That's the dude the, from, like, uh... Yeah. yeah, Brendan Fraser was in it, and so it was like Steve Martin. It was like, it was almost like Space Jam, but no one was doing any sports. And like again, like you couldn't do that again. Like, a, it, it, like sport basketball movies with uh, Looney Tunes was like the perfect formula. Mm-hmm. I, I, we don't know why. No one knows. Um, low point though for me was when like Charles Barkley is getting assault, like getting yelled at by kids, uh, where yeah. he like doesn't know how to play basketball. Be but gone, he, wanna be? Be gone. Yeah, but like. He, it's not like he like lost his money or anything. He was still like rich back then, but he's just wandering the streets, like just lost. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is weird. Well, no, I uh, got it. Like they thought that he was. They like, thought he was a lookalike, right? Yeah, they thought he was pretending to be Charles Barkley because he sucked at basketball. But like so they can't. Thought- yeah, but you can't fake his height. Like that's that's pretty hard to fake. Like yep, yep. What? Like, you can if you're an impersonator and you're the same height as him. I know, but I mean, like, that's dead accuracy impersonating, where it's like, he, <laughs> I mean, he didn't look any different than he was when he took off his jersey. Like, it, it looks the same. 
But yeah. like these little kids are just like yelling at him, like, "Oh, you're fake! Get out of here!" And he like takes it to per- to heart. I was like, "Whoa, Charles! Don't you have, like? I don't think you just do this. I don't think you just challenge kids to a game of pickup. What? Whatever." Um, I mean, if I saw somebody that looked like Danny DeVito, you can't fake his height, and like tried to like be like, "Oh yeah," and he tried to like act out something and just sucked at it. I'd be like, "Well, then you're not Danny DeVito if you can't even like do your fucking job like what you do." That's true. What I'm saying is, like, yeah, he missed, like, one free throw, and they're all, like, yeah, yelling at him. Yeah. Well, it they wasn't. were very aggressive. They were very aggressive street girls. <laughs> what would have um, been great is if he would have come back after he figured out, like, yeah, how to be back. good again. Yeah. And he would have just beat them. the shit out of them. <laughs> <laughs> you kids would have laughed at me. <laughs> yeah, like, I want to see that part where they all come back and, like, get their powers and their life goes back to normal. Um, I guess the high point for me was, like, when I'm not, yeah, like it's typically everyone's, but when like Jordan gives the inspirational talk and Bugs gives him the fake water, like the Mike stuff water. Everybody remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So like that was cool because it's like, oh, it's always been inside of you all along. But again, it's like eh, that's a bunch of bullshit. Because then, because uh, then like Jordan kind of then becomes a Looney Tune at the end, where he like grows his body. Mm-hmm. Which they just like forget, like they just totally disregard that after he does that. Like, I mean, he yeah. was in a cartoon world. I could forgive that. Yeah, but I'm just like, whoa, like that would have been useful, like in the beginning. Yeah, to know that you could like tap into cartoon power, like Mr. Fantastic yourself. Yeah, like so. The, still uh, a better, still a better Fantastic Four movie than Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, what were your final thoughts? High point, low point, and ranking one to ten. Final thoughts, whether it's nostalgia or not, I love this movie. I've loved it since I was a kid. It can be on now, and I'm still going to watch it and love it. It made me love Looney Tunes even more than I already did as a kid. Um, high point of the film has just got to be the basketball game. Like, the whole game. Like, I just loved that scene so much. Um, basketball game. <laughs> basketball game. Uh, the low point of the movie, though, it was bad even when I was a kid. Like, you have to remember, Jurassic Park was three years ago to this movie. When they smush him up, when they smush Michael Jordan up into the basketball, that CGI was <laughs> terrible. It was so bad. And, like, his voice went high-pitched for some reason. I was just going to ask that if anybody noticed that. I was like, wait, is that his, like, real voice? Couldn't be, right? <laughs> and then they're like, it was, like, three years before that, they made me believe that dinosaurs were real, like, alive again. And now, like, you can't even, like, smush up a dude. Like, <laughs> it was just so bad. Oh my god. And then I'd give this movie an 8.5 out of 10. Well, there you have it, folks. Space Jam is in the books. Time to move on to part three here of the Four Real Movie Club. We will discuss another half-breed movie with half-live action, half-cartoons in the movie Cool World. So sit down, hunker, do whatever you gotta do. I'm gonna make up words. Uh, Click the next link and check out part three of the Four Real Movie Club. Welcome back to part three of the Four Real Movie Club, where we'll be discussing Cool World, which is a 1992 American live-action animated fantasy film directed by Ralph Bakshi. 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 Uh, and it's starring Kim Basinger, Gabriel Brin, uh, Byrne, 
and Brad Pitt. Yep, I said Brad Pitt. Yeah. It tells the story of a cartoonist who finds himself in the animated world he thinks he created and is seduced by one of his characters, a comic strip vamp who vamp's a word, who wants to be real. Cool World marked uh, Bakshi's return to feature films after nine years. The film was originally pitched as an animated horror film about an underground cartoonist whose father and illegitimate half-human, half-cartoon daughter who hates herself for what she is and tries to kill him. Chris, we'll start with you. What was your initial thoughts on Cool World? Uh, I saw this movie, like, because my... I mean, Cool World, to me, has an uns- not a really heavy nostalgia goggles for it being, like, one of the first adult movies I've ever seen. Because my parents thought this was supposed to be, like a, like, a kid's movie. And it was billed as a kid's movie, so it was, like, PG-13. But just, it's not. The whole... The whole story is insane of like the characters and like the 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 actual true purpose of like the the world's merging because people thought this would be like who framed Roger Rabbit but like you know the next level of it the same concept but it's totally not it's like a worse idea of that and like this is the precursor to like Space Jam where we integrated like humans and cartoons but it's like all done terribly. <laughs> Caroline, what was your initial thoughts of Cool World? Uh, well, first off, I just want to say that for some reason, this movie was so popular in Brazil when I was growing up. I remember that it would play on, like, open TV channel, like, right after lunch, like, when all the kids were getting home. Uh, so I remember watching it when I was really young, and I was just, like, confused. Um... I don't dislike it. I mean, I love Gabriel Byrne a lot, and... There's some dirtiness, um, uh, like, about Cool World, the actual place in the movie Cool World, that I liked a lot. Uh, I mean, but, yeah, I mean, it's, it's all right. <laughs> Sam, it's not amazing. What were your initial thoughts on the initial thoughts these two just had? Yeah, uh, for you guys listening, I didn't see this movie. Uh, it's one of the ones I did not catch on the list. But... Just as someone who hasn't watched it, so just like you guys, if you haven't watched it and you're listening to the podcast, I don't know about this movie. It came out after Who Framed Roger Rabbit, so I feel like it's just discount Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I'd rather just watch that movie. Oh, yeah, Um, you're better off. Yeah. Like, I like the idea that it was pitched as a horror movie, but it's not a horror movie, so is it basically just... Uh, who framed Roger Rabbit, basically? Like, it's just real-world, cartoon-world mixed, and it mixes further. Hey, so you're going to take us on explaining, like, how insane the plot is? Uh, actually, I, I have not seen this movie either, so I'll let you explain how crazy this plot is. I, okay. I vaguely remember the cartoon part of it. Like, I think I browsed past it on the <laughs> TV, but go for it. Okay, so this this... The the idea of Cool World is like another universe that like exists and just like parallel to the real the so the like the human world. Mm-hmm. And the someone in the cartoon world opened up a portal to like visit the human world and like grab Brad Pitt from nineteen forty five and puts him in charge of the cartoon world while this like professor guy goes to the human world to just explore. Like what was he a cartoon in the real world or did he become real? No, he becomes a cartoon, walk around the real world, but he grabs Brad Pitt, who's a human, into the cartoon world. Like, they switch places. 
So, like, Brad Pitt's a human in the cartoon world. And then, like, 50 years later, um, like, this guy gets out of jail. Uh, that's Gabriel Bryan's role. He's a cartoonist who, like, for the past few years, like, has been drawing these, like, cartoons and sketches. And he, like, has been taking, like, what he thinks is his world, is his creation is, like, Hollywood, this character and, like, her world. But in truth, it's actually, like, like Holly has been, like, like, visiting him in his dreams and, like, influencing his cartoons all these years. So he believes he created Cool World, but in actuality, like, Cool World already exists before him. What was her purpose in doing that? She wanted to cross over into the, the human world. Yeah, but like, she wanted to become real. She yeah, she, like, wanted to real. bend reality and become a humanoid. But in order for her to become a humanoid... Now, here's the part where, like, kids won't get this. And this is where, like, everyone kind of, like, smacks them on the... Everyone goes, like, holy God, this is the point. The point of the movie was to, like, Holly bangs... Like, has to have sex with a human to become human. Like, she's a cartoon. And they're forbidden to, like, actually have sex with human people. So it's like, when you do, you become human. Like, no, they don't explain why. That's just... That happens. So, not to spoil much, but she ends up banging, like, the cartoonist, and they, she actually does become human and travels to the human world. But that then it starts merging the two worlds together. And it's like, the Super... You guys saw Super Mario Brothers, right? It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. How, like, the worlds were merging? That basically happens, but instead of, like, a meteor, it's because someone had sex. So instead of just wanting the D, she wanted the 2D? <laughs> <laughs> That's my contribution to this section. <laughs> no, that was good. But like, but, like, it's already an insane plot. They just added in, like, the sexual tension because it's like, yeah, it's edgy, but it makes no sense. And then you have all this talent that honestly, like, should not have jobs after in this movie. You know, like, this movie was a colossal failure. This movie made, like, no money. It made barely half its money back, but that's over years of, like, it being in the foreign market or, like, it being advertised as a joke. We still talking about Cool World, or are we talking about Fantastic Four? <laughs> <laughs> well, this movie caused a lot of controversy. Uh, I think Dace will talk about, right? Yes, sir. Well, did right. they sh- did they actually show the sex scene, or was it just implied? It's, uh, it's kind. I mean, they kind of show it, but it's yeah, not like graphic. She's it's like, not- she, yeah, it's very sensual, you know, and it's a card, and she's a very. Think like Jessica Rabbit, yeah. but um, blonde and a little bit more realistic looking, like her face. She's um, like a Tex Avery cartoon, like yeah. a very sexy, super. It's super everything's sexy. like super sexy Tex Avery cartoon, which is like again that was okay back then, like to show like very exaggerated figures that honestly would give like a lot of it's it, it was like you know the 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 man's idea of like what sexy like women are in cartoons. And it plays well to, like, the story because it has a purpose because she's drawn like that to, like, actually seduce a human. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's that, that I get. But the rest of it is, like, insane. Like, the rest of the whole story, her, her whole gang, the world, it's like they don't explain it because it's impossible to explain to make <laughs> any sense. I don't think Sam would be into it. I think that he would rather uh, be with Lola Bunny. Exactly. Oh yeah, like if, if yeah. you saw if you grew up a little bunny, like you're not gonna get used to this. Like you just like that. <laughs> Once you have Jessica Rabbit, you don't go for Holly. Yeah. Some interesting notes about the cast itself for this movie. Uh, Kim Basinger played Hollywood. 
Uh, Brad Pitt is Detective Frank Harris. Gabriel Byrne is uh, Jack Deeps. Frank Sinatra Jr. is in it as well. <laughs> now I have to see it. Right? Uh, and there's a couple characters that I thought was pretty funny, like Craps Bunny. I'm just reading through some of the uh, cartoon character names they had here. Um, when it comes to the casting, what do you think of Brad Pitt <laughs> being in this movie? Uh, we'll start with you, Caroline. It, uh, he's a weird character. I mean, um, I don't know. I don't really like him in it. Um, uh, and then that's my dog snoring. If you guys caught that, um, I mean, he's all right. I just—I don't know. I felt like somebody else would play better. I guess because he's like the detective in it, it's hard not to compare with Who Frame Roger Rabbit and that idea of the, being a detective. And he's just kind of like the police, like the cop in it, and he's like reinforcing the rules that no cartoons should have sex with humans and. That's kind of like pretty much what he does, and he tries to maintain the world the way it is, but the only threat really is Holly, and she's trying to have sex with this guy, so he's just like constantly being, you know. Uh, so wait, is the cartoon world and the human world, like, are there times in sync? Uh, no, mm, you're like in this alternate so. realm. They're, they're okay. just like, time stops said, for you, Because you said it was like 50 years. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So and that's the other thing too. Like one, there, there's one point in the movie where Brad Pitt goes back to the real world. He's still the way he is. Like he doesn't age or anything. Well, I mean, uh, he didn't age, but like, was it like okay, he didn't age or anything? But was he mm -hmm. in the cartoon world for fifty years? Yeah. Yes. Or was he there for like? He thinks it was like a week, and it turns out oh. to be like. No, I think he no. was there for a while. Yeah. Was, yeah. Time, like. It's a cartoon, so it's like it's supposed to be like time is suspended, like time is that moment. Yeah. Okay, so then how did the girl Holly not just bang him? Oh, he's been trying. Like her, and he has like a, he has like a girlfriend who is also a cartoon, but he, <laughs> he, can't, he can't bang. bang. Um, but he so, doesn't really like Holly. Like yeah. she tries to come for him in various times, and he pretty much just shoves her aside. Like he really doesn't like her. Well, good for him. At least he has a girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah, like, the, the whole sexual tension thing between them is, like, I guess for 50 years they've been trying it, and then he's, you know, that's why they don't like each other. Because, yeah, like I said, 50 years, Holly's been trying to bang Brad Pitt. <laughs> what girl hasn't been trying to bang Brad Pitt? Yeah. I'll pass. <laughs> I heard well, Disney's Caroline. deodorant, so... Yeah, I keep hearing that he, he doesn't smell good, and that to me is like, ugh. That's why Angelina Jolie adopts. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have to also remember, this is like 92. Brad Pitt is like up and coming at this point. Yeah, he's so well, he, obviously because he did this movie. Yeah, like this really could have killed his career, like out the door. If this was today, it probably would have killed his career. Yeah. So, Chris, you, you mentioned earlier in the podcast, or in this portion of the podcast the controversy do you want to elaborate a little bit on that and tell oh, yeah. what the so uh when they were promoting this movie they were trying to do like a whole bunch of like marketing stunts to kind of get attention that it's like yeah it's good it's, it's a an adult themed kids movie which again like everyone who was marketing this movie was was coming from different perspectives where 
if you see in the in the uh, in the notes uh, in the Wikipedia, like Kim Basinger was trying to make like a family friendly movie so she could show these this movie to kids in hospitals. That's actually a quote. Oh she no! She quoted that. She was like, "Yeah, I want this to be one day like to show and like the kids." And it's like, "Holy shit, really?" Oh, okay, Ralph, uh, back back she. He was like, no, I make dirty movies. Like, this is my thing. It's, it's it's alternate, like, adult humor. So he was all about, like, it being graphic. Then, like, someone in Paramount was like, yeah, we've got this young kid named, like, Brad Pitt. Let's put him in. What's he going to do? I don't know. Let's make Roger Rabbit, basically. And then, like, got unlicensed, unlicensed like, art. Because all, like, the character art in the background is all, like, weird kind of like Tex Avery background, like 50s cartoons and stuff like that. So they were just making like halfway through, they basically knew they weren't making any money. So why spend real money to get like licensed material? Let's just get like garbage. So like everything that like surrounding the development was terrible. Then when the movie was like halfway done, they decided let's put uh, like a real life scale of Hollywood on the Hollywood sign. And it's like, they didn't really ask a lot of people. They just did it. So they built a giant, like, I don't know, like 20 foot blonde in a Marilyn Monroe, like, skirt and placed it by the H on the Hollywood side. Oh my God. And, like, all the people in the valley, like, looked up and went, uh oh, like, that ain't right. So a bunch of people were, like, stirring up controversy because, again, Hollywood, if you see a picture of her, is, like, a very sexualized character. It's, Jessica Rabbit, basically, but, like, proportionate. So, like, you can't, like, ex- how, how do you put that up? Like, you can't do that today. Like, you can't get permits to do ever that again. But, because, like, again, it just, you place this, like, figure on the, a Hollywood sign, an iconic thing, with this, like, slutty character. And so, like, everyone in Hollywood who was not with this movie totally complained. <laughs> wow. That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah, like I, I forgot that happened. It's just like, oh yeah, they placed it there, but it was like it, it was like such a rush job. Like I guess they built it somewhere else and like craned it up there really fast, oh and then they just like placed it there. Like what the hell? And it was just staring down in Hollywood. This 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 like slutty figure, and it's like it didn't have a title. It didn't say Cool World. It just had Holly, like just a character no one knew of yet. Interesting. Smooth. <laughs> uh, Caroline, we'll start with you. What are your final thoughts? High point, low point, and a ranking one to ten. Okay. Uh, well, I would say high point is that I still feel that in the right hands and with the right money and the right everything, the concept would be interesting. You know, the idea of having this cartoon world that it's not friendly, that it's not nice, that it's just like dirty and gross and has all these like kind of like disgusting looking characters. That could work if it was done right. Um, low points? Uh, I would say everything else. Like, uh, I just... I don't know. I just feel like there is a lot of potential there that it wasn't tapped in. Um, still don't know why this movie was so popular in Brazil. I guess because Holly was hot. Um, and I guess if I had to grade it, I would say maybe like a f- four? Or a three, something like that. Chris, what were your final thoughts? High point, low point, and ranking one to ten. Uh, my final thoughts of this movie was like, again, you not every movie with live action characters, like and cartoons, can work. And this is like a early milestone in that, where it's like, yeah, like we'll have 
adult themes, but kitty kind of like concepts, like that doesn't work. Especially this. It's like you go all the way. Um, the high points for me is like, I guess when like, yeah, basically Holly is Kim Basinger, like, and she's singing when Frank Sinatra Jr. at this this club. And to her, like, it's normal just to get up and sing in a ballroom. <laughs> but like, you know, in reality, people are like, no, like, this should be crazy. But in that one time scenario, like, people are fine with it, which is, it's funny because it's like a cartoon come to life, right? Then the low points for me is like when Brad Pitt and his girlfriend are arguing about sex because like she keeps bringing up how sexually frustrated he's been for over like 50 years since he's been here. <laughs> and it's like, he's been for 50 years, let's say, right? And it's like he couldn't have sex for 50 years, but he has a girlfriend who is like sexually frustrated. She is just like, you don't she kiss wants me. To bang. She wants the bet. Yeah, she wants this whole thing, but it's like, it's like, what are the rules for sex in this thing? Like penetration? Right. Is it like a hand job? I no, I, they don't dare to explain it because again, they want to keep it a PG thirteen ninety two PG thirteen, and it's like, you know, like you can't you can't talk about that concept and not be graphic and funny about it. And then it tries to be like very like, oh, that's our, that's why I'm so moody because I can't have sex. But it's like you're explaining, you're, I'm not going to learn a sex education through like this movie when I'm like, <laughs> like this is crazy. I wonder if anal counts. Yeah, like, th- that would make sense now. Like, you ask that question now when you watch the movie, but back then, you're such a, you're, if you're watching this as a kid, you would have no idea, but you watch it as a parent, and like, Jesus, like, what did I, whatever my kid to? Yeah, exactly. I'm still kind of awed that it was PG-13 movie. Like, it doesn't really feel like it. Oh, it, it shouldn't. But that's the thing. If it became an R, this movie would have been, like, ten times better. Right, yeah. But, or if it became a... Or, yeah, it could have been so worse. Like, imagine all this plus, like, really graphic cartoon sex on humans. Like, I don't want to see that either. Oh, I wouldn't see that. <laughs> That'd be cool. Am I, I alone? Sam, yeah. am I alone in this? <laughs> okay, maybe Holly and, like, the girlfriend <laughs> character. Everything else is a, a freak show of art. So, like, imagine those things being naked. It's not great. <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Cool World is in the books, so make sure you jump over to part four of the Four Real Movie Club as we talk about the comedic classic, Office Space. Woo! Welcome back to the fourth part of the Four Real Movie Club here in August as we go through a grab bag full of staff picks when it comes to our films this month. The next film on our plate is Office Space, which is a 1999 American comedy film written and directed by Mike Judge. The film satires the everyday work life of a typical mid to late 1990s software company focused on a handful of individuals that are fed up with their jobs. We'll start with you, Sam, on this one. What were your initial thoughts on the movie Office Space? Oh, my God. I love Office Space. This is just a fucking classic of a movie. And, I mean, Mike Judge, like, in the 90s was amazing when it came to, like, comedy and stuff. I mean, I love uh, King of the Hill, uh, Beavis and Butthead. Like, he, he was on a high point, and this movie was, it didn't hit records, I don't believe. I don't think it was, like, box office financially a hit, but just it's become, like, a cult classic film. Chris, what were your first thoughts on uh, Office Space? Uh, like, I didn't appreciate the humor until I grew up when I first watched it. Like, until I actually knew, like, the mundane routines and how insane people can get, like, by just 
going to work in an office all the time. So, like, that's that. I don't know. I feel like Mike Jug movies are like that with me, where every time I, I don't get them initially the first time, but then the second time I watch it, like a few years later, like it clicks with me better. Uh, it, again, like now I get it. Now it's like like classic staple. Because I remember like seeing the trailer and everything when I was a kid, going like, I don't want to watch this. But then, you know, it being on TV or people recommending it, it just grows like like a culture with it. Caroline, so, like, what were you... sorry, that's right. I was like, so like I I like it now. Like it's a good comedy. Caroline, what were your initial thoughts on Office Space? Well, I'm not a big comedy person, but I do like this movie. Um, just like Chris just said, I mean, you don't really get it when you, I mean, if you're young and you watch it, but as you grow older, like little things, like even in the beginning of the movie, like the traffic jam, like he has switched lanes thinking that, oh, this lane is going fast and it stops. And then the young, like it's little things like that. It's just so that on. It's like something that everybody could just see themselves in it and i mean that movie just I, when i watch it i just want to get a red stapler i so i appreciate that movie so some of the casting leads to uh ron livingston as peter gibbons the main character uh jennifer aniston as joanna stephen root as the iconic milton wadhams <laughs> uh gary cole as bill lumberg david herman as michael bolton ajay nadu as samir Nahinajar. Yeah, I said it. Uh, <laughs> John C. McGinley as Bob Slidell, who's my hero for other regions, reasons. And, and just a list of other, like, in-between characters as well. Uh, Sam, we'll start with you. What were your thoughts on the casting for Office Space? Uh, I mean, none of them, like, with the exception of, uh, uh, fuck, like, Peter. Like, I can't think of them in too many other movies. Like, it's... I don't, it's not that they didn't have careers after this. It's just I I can't like think of like oh yeah like that's the dude who played Lawrence. Yeah, but, nobody like, knows that Jennifer Aniston woman. <laughs> or Dark. Well, besides that, but like, <laughs> but like now like like when I saw The Conjuring, I'm like, dude, that's the guy from Office Space. Like it's just like this movie like is now how I think of some of these people. Um, as far as the casting goes, like, my favorite character in this whole thing has gotta be Lawrence. Whenever he's on screen, I just fucking love it. And, like, I, I still will, like, if I can find a way to squeeze it into a conversation, I'll still go, like, no. No, man. No, shit, man. You get your ass beat for saying something like that. Chris, what were your thoughts, or what were your thoughts on the casting for uh, Office Space? Uh, I like that this movie doesn't feel like a Jennifer Aniston vehicle, even though, like, mm-hmm. some people remember it just for Jennifer Aniston. Uh, again, the character that Gary Cole plays is, like, now, like, a universally, like, funny character. Like, he just, like, you could see, like, people in fandom, like, talk about him, like, mimic his tone, his, his voice. Like, Gar- that one character is pretty awesome. And it's supposed to, like he's supposed to be the main antagonist, but it's it's just funny how um, like the popularity of him has taken off. Uh, this movie did help a lot of their careers, though. I, I though not everyone walked away like like famous for it, you know. Like it took a while. Like now you can see their their career like steadily like 
you could, like Sam said, you recognize them from that. But when that movie came out the first two years, like, I don't think you saw many people, like, in other movies after that. Yeah, well, I mean, like, Jennifer Aniston was already known at this point for Friends. But, like, not too many others. Right, Gary, right. Gary Cole was, but... Caroline, what were your thoughts on the casting? I mean, I, I love... My favorite thing about casting is the guy that plays Milton. Sorry, I'm blinking on everybody's names. I, I suck at remembering names. Um, unless if you're a dog. Uh, it, it was good. I mean, I would say the only one that I could just, like, do without or have somebody else play, it was, like, Jennifer Aniston. Like, eh, I mean, yeah, she's cute, but I feel like she was just there for, like, to be cute. But, yeah, everybody else is nice. Like, I, I like that they picked a guy to play Peter that is not, I mean, he's, he's charming, but he's not gorgeous. Um, you can still, like, kind of see, oh, that's, like, the guy that works, like, on the next cubicle. He's average. He's a perfect, like, average dude. Exactly. And And I think that's really great. Like, I wonder, I mean, I guess today there are a lot of comedians that could, you know, still do that and be okay, but... I think Whenever the dude the, from Hangover, if they remade this movie, right. would probably end up playing him. I, I yeah, think Louis like, C.K. would be phenomenal in that role. You have to have somebody that just looks like a real... Oh, God. Like, sorry. Like, crazy things happening in my was street. That, was that a uh, basketball joke? Maybe. <laughs> do you live on NASCAR? <laughs> I actually do. It's like one side is NASCAR, the other side is Sidebar, and the other side's like uh, a crackhead place. Her. Yeah. Um... What was I saying? Uh, you yeah, so yeah, totally yes, have I, a crush on Jennifer Aniston. Oh yeah, I love her. Gee, um, no, um, yeah. So I appreciate that. You know, I don't think he would be as effective, even if he was still really funny. If he was like a really good-looking guy, so I feel like casting did a good job on that movie. Uh, some facts about the movie: the music was done by John Frizzle, uh, cinematography by Tim Sarhurst, uh, <laughs> edited by Dave Rennie. And distributed by 20th Century Fox. The release date for the film was February 19th, 1999. So it was a great Valentine's Day movie if you wanted to go check it out. With a runtime of 89 minutes, a budget of $10 million, and a box office of 12.8. So not really a great box office success like it was mentioned earlier. Uh, however, it has received a cult status. Um, selling very well on home video and DVD as of 2003. It had sold 2.6 million copies on VHS. For those of you that are young... That's what we had before uh, DVDs, which is before Blu-ray. Um, in the same year, it was the top 20 best-selling Fox DVDs along with There's Something About Mary. Wow. So I'm going to ask you guys, the panel, uh, Chris, what do you think it takes to become a cult classic? Like, Why did this not do well at the movie theaters, but it bit well when it got to sales for DVDs and vi- uh, videos? I'm going to say, like, a lot of people who actually work in offices didn't want to see a comedy that takes place in an office yet. Like, that market wasn't ready. Because I know, like, the office TV show, not relatable to this, I know, like, works now. But back then in 93? No, what was it? 99? Like, I guess some people just weren't, like, ready to face the funny realities of, of, like, the, of, like, the routines of, like, the mundane routines in an office. So I'm going to say, like, it grew better in box office because people started, someone saw it and recommended it, how funny it was, and all these, like, little tidbits about everyday life in an office is actually, like, crazy. Sam? I agree. Yeah. 
Well, Carolyn, <laughs> we'll start with you. Screw Santa. Um, why do you think it became a better, it, it became a cult classic and did better on sales for DVDs and VHS than it did the box office? So I'm going to go now. And <laughs> oh, it was, oh, I'm sorry. About it. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, you guys. I didn't want to interrupt Tim. I'm sorry. Go you ahead. didn't interrupt, so you were silent when it was time for you to talk. Because I said I, I agree with Chris, and it was your turn to speak, so I, I shut up. <laughs> Caroline, you can go. I was talking to Tony. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Frank says. <laughs> no, I just, I just agree with Chris. I feel like... Maybe in the 90s, there was still this idea that people just wanted to go to the movies and kind of forget about mundane life. And a movie title, Office Space, maybe didn't really appeal to people. Uh, but then once people got more familiar uh, with what the movie was about, they were able to connect in a way. And I feel like if any, like with all um, cult movies, there is something about you being able to connect to it in ways like you see yourself in those situations and those situations they don't have like an expiration date on them they're always going to be you know uh part of people's lives so yes i agree with chris now go ahead sam sorry sorry i exist i accept your apology for that <laughs> damn you're harsh <laughs> um i think the reason why this movie did better later on was, uh, like they said, like, these are themes that are maybe not completely timeless, but they're, like, we can still relate to them today. But I think why it maybe wasn't a success back then is when I first watched it, I understood that this was the kind of movie that maybe you can't really appreciate when you first watch it. You maybe have to watch it again and again, and then you start to, like, you, you love it for what it is rather than, like, just a film, if you know what I mean. So, like, watching it, like, five years later, you're like, ah, you know what, that was actually really funny. Like, maybe I didn't like it when I saw it in theaters. And then, like, ten years later, you're like, damn, I, I remember that movie. I want to go watch that again. And then just down the line, it becomes, like, something that everybody loves. Word of mouth, it carries legs, the DVD sales increase. I have the answer for this. Go ahead. Quotes. There's one oh, thing yeah. about yeah, cult so movies horrible. that is uh, standard, and it's that they are quotable. And it doesn't matter if it's a good movie or it's a bad movie. There's things that are going to be quoted from it. You take a movie like The Departed, wins Best Picture, like all this other kind of stuff like that. I think it won Best Picture that year. Um, can anybody really name any quotes from it? <laughs> but at the same time, you take a movie like this, and people are gonna go PC low letter. What the fuck does that mean? Or it's a jump to conclusions, Matt. Or not gonna work here anymore. Like there's so many different things that are quotable about this, and I think this is one of those things where people, you know, you watch it, you find the quotes funny, you tell a friend, like, yeah, oh, that joke was about you know this thing from Office Space, and then it's like, well, what's Office Space? Oh shit, it's this really fucking fun movie, and etc. Well, there you have it. End of the so, debate. <laughs> so, yeah, Dace, if you could move on to the next topic, that'd be great. Well, we can all edit <laughs> that part out in post, so it's all good. Uh, <laughs> high point, low point, ranking 1 to 10. Caroline, we'll start with you on the movie Office Space. Um, 
I'll give it a seven, which I feel like it's the highest I can give to a comedy because it's just not my thing. Um, highest point, Milton, the tape player. I love that guy. Like, I would marry him. He's so adorable with a little, uh, he's so cute. Um, low point, Jennifer Aniston. Sorry, girl. Uh, Chris, what was your high point, low point, and ranking one to ten on the movie Office Space? Uh, my high point, I think, is when they go to lunch and they're talking about the flare at the TGIF. And, like, that's pretty funny because that's, like, for me, like, most awkward is, like, going to restaurants more than dealing with offices. Like, just dealing with, like, the host that, or, like, the waiter that's, like, way too into his job. <laughs> uh, the low point for me is the, I guess, like, kind of the end where they don't get their, like, money. I don't know. I feel bad. Like, it's just, it's, it's funny that way, right? It's more tragically funny. But honestly, like, you know, like, I didn't mind them, like, if they actually got something that wasn't, like, Pete's working, he went from a computer job to just, like, construction. <laughs> That's kind of like, holy shit, the market shift was so violent there that he, like, lost a career job to do, like, going outside and picking up roadkill and things like that. Which I guess he was happier for, which was, like, the better message, but I felt like that was, like, Ooh, that's too, that's too, that's too deep for me. <laughs> where it's just like, oh, yeah. that's like a career shift where it's like, oh, no, no office skills. Go outside, pick up a shovel. Yeah, I, I can see that. And was your ranking one to ten? Oh, uh, like a seven. And it's not the best comedy of all time, but it's, it's great for like this generation, like, I guess. You know, like, oh, it's, it's still like a great movie to throw on and like what Tony said to quote and just like, or relive some scenes, but it's definitely not like a, uh, you know, must-see for everyone. Sam, what was your high point, low point in ranking 1 to 10 on the movie Office Space? I'm kind of with Carolyn. Um, the, I wasn't a big fan of Jennifer Aniston, the whole love story angle of it. I was just more interested in just, like, watching this guy interact with his friends and, like, bitching about his job. Uh, the high point is the fucking when they all get together. I can never remember if it's, like, a fax machine, if it's a printer scanner, like, just whatever, like, the, the, the always breaking down, and they, like, get it, and they start playing that rap song, and they just <gasps> bust the shit out of it. That, to me, is just... That is gold for me in this movie. And uh, out of ten, I give Space Jam an 8.5. I'm going to give this movie an 8. I'm very disappointed nobody said that their high point was the best line in the movie, which is, Hi, Bob. Bob? I love that part. That's so fucking great. (laughs) (laughs) You're all terrible people for not loving that as much. (laughs) Well, there you have it, folks. (laughs) All this space in the books, and we're going to move on to a bonus part. Yeah, you heard it, folks. We're doing a fifth part on a four-reel movie club. Yeah, it doesn't make sense, but who the fuck cares? (laughs) Moving on. To the fifth film here on the Four Real Movie Club, Dark Skies. Click the link below. Bam. Welcome back to the fifth part. Yeah, you heard it right. The fifth part of the Four Real Movie Club, where we'll be talking about Dark Skies, which is a 2013 American science fiction horror film written and directed by Scott Stewart and produced by Jason Bloom, starring Carrie Russell, Josh Hamilton, Dakota Goyo, and J.K. Simmons. Initial thoughts will start with you, Caroline. Horror movie! Woo! Um, I really like this movie. I, w- I went to the theater to watch it, and I wasn't expecting a whole lot. 
but I liked it a lot. I know it had aliens. Um, if you kind of go into the movie not really knowing what it's about, which was my case at first, I wasn't really sure if it was like a more like a supernatural kind of thing instead of just aliens or whatnot. Um, it has like two really cute little boys in it. Um, it also kind of has like a little coming of age story to it, which I thought it was really refreshing. It's not all scary, 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 disturbing stuff. Um, and it plays with like childhood fears as well. And fears you might have when you when you're a parent and you're trying to make your family work. So I really like this movie. Sam, what were your initial thoughts on Dark Skies? Uh, I love alien movies. And this one, it has its issues, but this is one of my favorite alien movies. Uh, there are things that could have been better about it. Uh, I personally think the end kind of fell apart a little bit, but that's kind of, that seems to be a trend with horror movies. Is like they tend to be really good up until the very end of it. But uh, I was very impressed with it. I loved how they handled they tried to change up just a little bit from the whole alien thing where it wasn't, like, invasion kind of a thing. Like, J.K. Simmons, awesome part in the movie, and he says, like, oh, well, hey, the invasion already happened. They're fucking here, so you're just going to have to deal with this shit. Yeah. So it's basically, like, it's the you're fucked moment of the movie. Is like, look, you're done. So I love that. Uh, I definitely recommend this movie to anybody who loves scary movies, horror movies, sci-fi movies, anything. Chris, what were your initial thoughts on Dark Skies? Uh, I thought it was kind of like, when I first saw the trailer, I remember thinking this is horror movie by the numbers, where you have to introduce like all the family and their like, their quirks that have nothing to do with like the the aliens, you know, and their problems. And it just happens to be like this, this like struggling family with like an, another burden of like an alien problem. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. Only because J.K. Simmons shows up and he's actually like the like expert in the field. So when he like describes like, oh, when they come for you, you'll know. Anyway, I'm like bye. That like, I, I was just like, all right, well, it's a full cast full of like you know known people. I give it a shot. It's not my favorite horror, like, alien thing, because the aliens don't really show up. So it's just more like them being dicks of this family. But don't you think that's a plus, though? Like, don't you think that sometimes when you see too much in horror movies, it kind of just loses its... To me, it was like the Jaws effect. Like, when right, you finally see them in, too. like... Yeah. Right, but again, the whole, then at the end, they just kind of, like, they just disappear. You know, that, that part was just like, oh, the payoff. It's the payoff. I think that, for me, was the disappointing thing about it. Like, it's well, suspenseful. Yeah. It's to very me, suspenseful. And that's why I thought the end fell apart a little bit. Yeah. Me. So that's for me. Like, it's still... But I don't know. It still has to justify the whole movie. For me, like, I, I kind of don't like it so much. This isn't my favorite, like, alien, you know, fuck around family movie. <laughs> So we talked a little bit about the casting. Uh, Carrie Russell plays uh, Lacey Barrett. Josh Hamilton plays Daniel Barrett. Dakota Goya plays Jesse. Caden Rocket plays Sam. And then you guys said J.K. Simmons is Edwin Pollard, who's mm-hmm. kind of the know-all that comes and just tells everything. Um, what did you guys think on the casting itself? We'll start with you, Caroline. I like it. I mean, I like the children a lot. I think that... I mean, sometimes, like, I love horror movies when they have kids, but sometimes they can be, like, a very decisive factor. If you don't have really good 
child actors, which, you know, it's it's not uncommon. It kind of just, like, loses its thing, and I, I like it a lot. Um, I like what they did. I like the kids they picked. The little boy just steals my heart every time I see the, the, the youngest one. Um, I like the parents. Oh, man, like, the alien expert, to me, just, like, kills it. Um, I like it, and I kind of like even more that they picked um, Carrie Hart Russell to play the mom and not some, like, really, really big, um, I mean, she's, she's famous, but, like, not a super, like, major star, um, and she still plays a character that is very different from whatever the character that she played on, like, a TV show that was really popular. I forget the name. Felicity. Yeah, Felicity. Um, so, yeah, I like it. I don't think I have any, like, major complaints about casting. Chris, what were your thoughts on the casting? Uh, once I saw Felicity was a house mom, I felt old. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then just just to be like, oh, this is a you know this it felt like this felt like like you know that every the father and the mother characters actually do an equal part of like getting their lives shit on by aliens and like they're trying to struggling try to prevent the aliens from taking them. That was kind of nice because I the trailer made it see honestly seem like Kara Russell is gonna like fight an alien or something. Right. She she was like I thought she was gonna be like the main star, but it's actually just the, it's the family and it's a good balance. Uh, but like like you said with kid actors, the, the the they're kind of an important part too. Where if they're not like acting appropriately, the movie kind of is all falls apart upon them because they're like they're like not really into it or it's like not believable when they're screaming and running and acting annoying. Sam, what were your thoughts on the casting? Um, well, actually, just bouncing off of what Chris said there about how the trailers kind of set up that she was going to, like, fight an alien. I was actually really disappointed. There's a scene in the trailers that was not in this movie where you see her and, like, she looked scared. Like, I think maybe she had a knife in her hand or, like, she was just, like, ready to, like, attack something. And then the camera kind of just turns a little bit and you see one of the aliens, like, six feet behind her. And that scene's not in the movie, and I wished it had been. Um, as far as casting in the movie goes, I thought the weakest link was the youngest child, the oh one who played God. Sammy. Aww, he's so funny. It's just, I mean, I'll, I'll just say, I'll repeat it just when it's time, but I'll just say it right now. My least favorite part is when he's uh, in the park with his dad, and he's just staring, and he starts screaming. Like, for some reason, I, I thought that was so stupid, and it was unnecessary, and it was bad acting on kind of just everybody's part right there. Um, Aww. What a little guy. <laughs> but, but my favorite casting, by far, J.K. Simmons. Because yes. when, you, when, you, when you have an alien film, and you have an expert within that film, there's one of two ways you can go. The one way is the dude from Independence Day. Where he's just like, this is fucking cool, isn't it? Like, there's this kind of alien and this kind of alien and this kind of alien. Or you can have what J.K. Simmons was, and I loved this because I rarely ever see this in film. He was just a defeated man. He's just a guy who had to deal with this. He learned to accept it, which is terrifying in and of itself to me. And like when he's like, yeah, man, like dogs, like they just lose their shit. So, like, I have a bunch of cats. They don't seem to care about them. So it's like he's rearranged his life and has just accepted that this is reality, not going to get rid of it, and, hey, maybe I can give some advice to other people. And when he talks about how, like, the implant, and then they show with the dad what's been causing his infection, 
talking about how it like burrows in deeper when you try to cut it out talking like look man like make it difficult for them because they're not going to want to fight you on this so just give them hell and they might move on if you're lucky um i thought it was a little weak though the m night Shyamalan plot twist with like oh my god it wasn't the youngest it was the first child ah. i thought that was a little stupid but um yeah, that's just my thoughts on the casting. Well, they are coming back for the young boy, though, right? Because uh, isn't one of the things, like, they start drawing things, and, I mean, the, we learn later on that the the older the, the older uh, boy used to do that, so now they're coming for him, but then maybe in the yeah, future that, they're going to come back for the little boy. Yeah, that didn't make any sense to me anyway, because, like, the whole point of, like, the movie is that they say, like, they come for the one they first came in contact with. But then they mm -hmm. make it, they make it seem like it's been like five years maybe that they've been doing this. Uh huh. like they, the kids seem to be about five years apart, and I'm assuming the oldest was the youngest's age when this started. But like for some reason it's been five years and only now it kind of has started. And it's like the youngest boy shows all the signs. The mom sees the alien in Sammy's room, right. and he's talking about it. But then that's why I called it an M. Night Shyamalan plot twist, because it didn't make any fucking sense. That they're like, oh, wait, but the boy did, the oldest boy did it when he was younger, and that's why he got taken. It's like, well, then they're fucking aliens. Why don't they just take both kids? Why, don't yeah, they like, take why are there rules? Right. That, that's why I was like, what? Like, th this whole structure of like, oh, no, they have a specific plot to dick around with them. And then at the end, it's like, no, we just want one. Like, thank you, and just leave. Well, yeah, I did actually think that was a little funny, though, because, like, I, I have, I'm in a science field, I'm going into graduate school for science, so as a scientist, which is, they, they always say what aliens are, they're scientists in their own right, we're kind of dicks. Like, every scientist I know is a douche in some regard, and I gotta tell you, man, like, if I was an alien going to another planet and I'm gonna, like, experiment on people... I'd probably fuck around with them a little bit. Like, they were like, why Why did they ruin our fridge? Eh, just because they could. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's like, why did the alarm systems go off? Eh, they knew it would scare you. <laughs> like, I just thought that was funny. Like, it didn't take away from the movie for me personally. I just thought it was cool. Some fun facts about the film. Uh, it was directed by Scott Stewart as well as the screenplay and produced by Jason Blum, Cooper Samuelson, Jeanette Brill, uh, and the music was by Joseph Bashara. Cinematography was done by David Boyd, edited by Peter Votas, uh, and distributed by Dimension Films. The release date was February 22nd, 2013 in the United States with a runtime of 97 minutes. The budget was only $3.5 and the box office was 26.4. All those fun facts put into perspective, everything we've talked about here up in this film. Sam, we'll start with you. Final thoughts and high point, low point in ranking 1 to 10. My final thoughts on this movie are it's one of my favorite, not definitively, but it's one of my favorite movies that deal with the greys. Like, I can't say favorite alien movie after thinking about it because I love Alien and Aliens so much and, like, Predator. And, like, the more I thought about it, there are movies that deal with aliens that I love way more than this movie. But when it just comes to the greys being like the big-headed, big-black-eye kind of aliens, this is definitely up there. Um, there are creepy moments in this movie, one of which, which most people I talk to who have seen this movie didn't realize, 
when uh, the oldest Jesse is riding his bike down that street at night and he like feels like there's someone watching him and like the street lights start going out. If you watch in that scene, in the background, when he stops riding his bike and he's looking around, you can see in the distance one of the aliens kind of moving down the sidewalk. It's really fucking creepy. Um, falls apart at the end, like I said. The the whole reason why they take Jesse and not Sammy doesn't really make sense to me. And J.K. Simmons steals the show in one scene for me. So High Point has got to be the J.K. Simmons moment and just like all the creepy shit that happens with the family. Uh, low Point for me is when Sammy just screams <laughs> like, I, I, I get it. Like, I know why they did it. I see what they were going for. And, like, I don't know. Like, it just... I also thought it was a little dumb when the dad walked outside and when his wife goes out. Like, he's just, like, got his mouth gaping open and then just blood starts shooting out of his nose. I thought that was a little ridiculous. But th- this movie, out of ten, I'd give it a solid seven. Like, if five is, like, yeah, I liked it, and then thinking like Office Space is something like an eight. This to me is definitely a seven. It's recommendable. I liked it, but I totally get why some people wouldn't like this movie. Carolyn, what were your thoughts on uh, High Point, Low Point, Final Thoughts, and a ranking one to ten? Um, I enjoyed this movie uh, a lot. It's actually one of the movies in my personal. I think it's like one of the few alien movies that I own. Um, I like the take in it. I like that it's it, it's around the family and not just like one individual. Uh, I appreciate the relationships they have. Uh, I like uh, Ratface a lot in the movie. <laughs> He's such a little douchebag. Um, I love. Oh yeah, I, I love when I love when the dad starts beating the shit out of him. Yeah, right. I love when he's like, "Oh, you, you just you kissed her. Oh man, you go downtown. I do that with all my ladies. <laughs> it's just so funny. Such a little douche. Um, it's a really good movie, and I appreciate that I didn't see the alien because to me, a lot of the movies when I get to see the monster right away, I'm just kind of like, okay, great. So like all this work that my imagination was doing of what frightens me and how I perceive aliens to be or the monster to be, it was uh, kind of a letdown, which is what I felt when, you know, I watched Signs. Like, oh, man, really? Uh, so I appreciate that. Um, I, I don't dislike the ending. Um, I, I get why Sam didn't like it. Um, I kind of just like that it ended in, like, an open-ended kind of way. You know, his, his boy is gone. Probably his family is never going to see him again. But then now what? Is the little the little ones going to be next? Or are they going to try to, like, somehow, are they going to give up on him? Like, what's going to happen next? So I liked it. Uh, I'm going to give it an 8.5. Um, and low points. Lots of birds die in it. Not real ones, but, yeah. Lots of birdies die. Side note, I think the reason why the family photos were taken is because they were uh, touching themselves to the mother. <laughs> or the dad. You don't know that. Uh, there could have been some ladies there. <laughs> I, I, I didn't see downstairs. I don't know. <laughs> Chris, what were your final thoughts, high point, low point, and ranking 1 to 10? Uh, uh, okay, so my final thoughts is this is like a... Again, this was a... Uh, 
a, a different kind of horror alien movie where the aliens take their sweet time coming out, but they love Domestless Family. Uh, high points for me was when, like, the birds start, like, again, this is, like, not everyone agrees, <laughs> but I like when the birds start smacking into the house, because, like, you can't explain that, besides, like, oh, yeah, like, radio waves, but still, like, what? Like, no, this is, like, this is a problem, but, like, right. everyone else ignores it, like, nah, nah, that just happens, like, that's fine. Yeah, and, like, different birds from different, like, I don't know, flocks flying yeah. in the same place, like, yeah. It, it's not just, like, one type of bird broke this house, no, it's, like, all the birds in the community decided to flock here. And I, I don't quite understand how the aliens did it, but they're just like sound waves. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> like that just like yeah, aliens have the power to mess up bird patterns. Woo, that was kind of cool because that's like different than most like horror movies, most alien movies. So I was like, that's cool. Uh, worst part for me, I think, was I think Sam brought it up when the little kid's screaming, but yeah, it's it's funny because he's that. like playing soccer <laughs> and then he just pees himself and screams that's not an alien problem that's a that's a mental problem like yeah. a, you know like that's like oh a kid needs counseling and that's why i'm saying like it made no sense that the oldest son was the one taken because like the youngest was the one who was getting fucked up by it but i guess like but then, this like, we don't know if this happened because he, remember when the mom says that he used to be really sick all the time maybe that's what she was referring to did they forget this a... happened too like how do you forget this one happened like that like it's Listen, if those aliens could make a bunch of birds fly into a house, I'm sure that they could do a lot with your memory. Probably. Again, like, it's just a lot of things they didn't explore, but they kept it this way. So it's like, it, you gotta, like, like this format. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you have to be a fan of it. I'm not, obviously, because I'm, like, complaining about it, but <laughs> I, I appreciate the effort. I just was like, yeah, Dark Skies, it's another movie in the bin for me. I give it, like, a 5 out of 10. Like, it could be better, it, it, but it wasn't, you know, like, it didn't hit absolute bottom for me, where basically the alien comes out and, like, they're having a knife fight in the kitchen. So, <laughs> you know, that would have ruined it, too. It just reminds me of monkey knife fights from The Simpsons. <laughs> hey, pretty no more. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you have it, folks. Dark Skies in the book, as well as another episode of the Four Real Movie Club. Before we depart you on this episode, let's go around the table and see what everybody's got going on. Chris Chang, we'll start with you. What is up? Uh, not much, man. Just uh, promoting a uh, convention. I have a video game convention coming up in New Jersey on September 19th. Be there. There you go. Sam, what do you got going on? Well, I'm enjoying this delicious chocolate ice cream cone. But oh, you guys man. can... Uh, you guys plain can catch chocolate? me. What? Plain chocolate? Yeah, Do just have plain chocolate. Soft uh, serve ice cream. Nice. Ugh. Oh, Tony. So screw all of you. But no, you I'm saying it's nice. I am jealous. <laughs> you can catch me on more podcasts for Fanboys Anonymous, and you can uh, any of you going to New York Comic Con, I will be there. So check us out. Caroline, what do you got going on? Well. Uh, just like Sunset, check out Fanboys Anonymous. Finally coming back to my writing, which I'm really excited about. Uh, check out my website, which is C Z as in zebra, O as in olive tree, <laughs> um, F as in face, X as in x-ray, because Tony keeps calling me on it, dot com. Uh, Tony keeps calling me on it. It's not part of the website. So it's Z-O-F-X dot com. T as in... <laughs> 
stop it. You guys are so confusing me. I suck at spelling. Like, let me be. Um, and check out my Instagram. I'm going to be posting some really cool um, upcoming projects uh, soon, hopefully by tomorrow, uh, which is creepy underscore Caroline. And lots of things about her dog. Yay! She's my dog. She's really cute. So you guys can all see. And I, ha I have like videos of her humping her guaras, which are really entertaining for me. It's like dog porn. Yeah, it's cute. And how about the creature in the shadows? What do you got to plug? Is that me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm the creature that's not in the shadows anymore. Everybody already plugged fanboysanonymous.com. Obviously, go ahead and check out whatever else I end up posting. And uh, hopefully you guys enjoyed this episode without me, because it's been a while. And, uh, you know, I'm sure you're sick and tired of my voice. But if you're not sick and tired of my voice, <laughs> then holy shit, you can listen to a whole lot of other podcasts, because <laughs> I don't stop working. And uh, if you are into just the Fanboys Anonymous cut side of things, then you can check out the review points and the group meetings that are going to be coming up. I don't know exactly for sure exactly when we're going to do the different stuff, but I know that our group meeting that's coming up is going to be about the TV season that's going to be happening for 2015-2016. And our next review point, maybe it'll be Man From U.N.C.L.E. Maybe it'll be... I don't know, Spectre, if it's a while from now. <laughs> Whatever the case may be, though, that's always going to be on fanboysanonymous.com. And if you are onto the wrestling side of things, you can go to smartoutmoment.com, check out the Smack Talk podcast, and everything else like that. Well, there you have it, folks. Four Real Movie Club in the books. Thank you, everybody who was on the panel tonight. Thank you, everybody who's listening out there in YouTube world. And remember, keep on list or watching movies. That was stupid, but keep watching. <laughs> <laughs> At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. I'm too old for this. Good day, sir! You stay classy, San Diego. Rose? Well, we're going, we don't need Rose. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm finished. That'll help you. That'll go. Hasta la vista, baby. Hey, everybody! We're all gonna get late! <laughs> You're still here? It's over. Go home.